doing? How you feeling? How you living? Thanks for joining me today. It's your girl Akua, your host for Dem Coins Podcast, where we help millennials of faith gain clarity on what they truly value, manage and increase their income, and crush their financial goals. And today's special guest is Miss Kendra Barnes. And like the title says, we're going to talk all things real estate and how she used real estate to attain financial independence at age 32. Well, hello, amazing people. I hope you all are in good spirits. Another interesting um, last couple of weeks, especially with what happened on Sunday. Ooh, child, they slapping people at the Oscars now. Father, help your children. <laughs> we assaulting people on national TV. Hmm. Whew, well, I mean, this all goes to show, you know, nobody's perfect never covet what other people have because us millennial kids will and jada were the gold standard everyone you know we want that will and jada look not no more (laughs) but again hey we are all humans in process learning and growing and trying to figure out this thing called life and what i love about today's guest is that she is uh living example that you can make mistakes and you can still recover and you can still attain your goals. So who is Kendra Barnes? Kendra Barnes is a full-time real estate investor and founder of The Key Resource. Her real estate investments afforded her the ability to retire from the nine to five life at the age of 32. She created the key resource to inspire, empower, and educate people about the power of home ownership and real estate investments. So without further ado, let's get into this interview. All right. Well, them coins family, we have a very, very, very special guest, real estate entrepreneurial royalty in the house. We have Miss Kendra Barnes. (laughs) Hey there. Thank you for having me. Yes, I, I've been following you for a while, as I've stated before, <laughs> so I'm <laughs> super excited to just dive in into your story and how we can all take, you know, your, your nuggets of wisdom and your experience and apply it to um, our lives. And so I just kind of want to, I always like to take it back. So in your household, was finance always something that was, um, talked about a lot or were did you just kind of have to go through trial and error yeah a lot of trial and error so I was raised in a military family my mom and my stepdad were both in the air force and so we always had money we weren't like rich we were not wealthy by any means but we never wanted it for anything and so um like I got an allowance I knew about saving but we never talked about investing we never talked about like credit cards and like credit scores and stuff I feel like it was one of those things where um I think they thought like oh she'll she'll figure it out when she when she's grown right mm-hmm. but the knowledge for me did come with a lot of trial and error like um I never really thought that I would ever be a real estate investor I never saw myself here but yeah I basically grew up in a middle-class family, but investing and and things like that was like never talked about. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. And so then where did real estate 
come from? (laughs) It's crazy because I did the normal thing. Well, I say normal, like in quotations, like, you know, society tells us go to college, get a degree, get a good job. And for my parents, they're like, get a good government job. They're like, get that job. (laughs) And from what I believe, you had to work that job until you were like 70 years old and then you retire and then you live the life of your dreams, right? Um, And so that's what I did. I went to undergrad at North Carolina A&T State University. I went to grad school at Purdue University. I got full scholarships all throughout. I got a government job as an international economist at the, um, the Department of Agriculture I hated the nine to five life. And this is in no way nine to five shaming. If you have a nine to five that you like or love, God bless you. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I just didn't like it. It wasn't for me, but I didn't know any way out. And so I started like side hustling. I was starting online businesses and stuff like that. And I had a really successful e-commerce business online, but I just could never scale it because I was working full time and I just, it's like one of those businesses where you have to constantly exchange time for money and you'll only have a limited amount of time. So at the time, um, around this time, my husband and I, uh, so I met my husband in DC. I'm working in DC. We bought a house. We're working for the government. And one weekend, one of my aunts invited us over for a game night and we played a game called Cash Flow. And cash flow is a board game and it's kind of like Monopoly, but it takes it a step further because it's really about life. Like you have a profession, you make money, you might have kids, you might have student loans, you have a mortgage, a card note, all these different things. And the, the purpose of the game is to get out of the rat race of life. And so that could be like being burdened by debt. That could be, um, just kind of living paycheck to paycheck. But the only way you can do that is to invest. And the game basically teaches you that earned income, like money that you have to earn for exchanging your time for it is not going to be enough to live that dream life and get out of this rat race. You have to invest um, to get there. And so we played that game and it was a huge wake up call for us. Like, okay, no one ever told us about passive income. Like I never thought about that. We really have to make our money work for us while we're sleeping. And that's where the light bulb went off. Oh, interesting. I've never heard of that game. You said it was called cash flow board game. Like, yeah, cash flow. It's by Robert Kiyosaki, the author of uh, rich dad, poor dad. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's definitely uh, really kind of like the really kind of the king of entrepreneurship really I mean okay so that makes sense oh wow yeah and the interesting thing about the game is you can invest in different ways you can buy stocks you can like have mutual funds and businesses but what we found out after playing the game a few times is there's no way to win without real estate you can invest in as many businesses and stocks as you want on that game you cannot win cash flow without real estate. You just can't. Mm. And so we said, wait a minute now, if this game is supposed to mimic real life and we are not investing in real estate in real life, then we're not winning. We're like, so we just, we, I think we played it on a Saturday. By Monday, we're already like looking at rental properties. <laughs> we didn't even know what we were doing. We didn't know what we were looking for. And it was, it was a wild, a wild ride. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I love that, you know, 
you and your, you know, you and your husband on one accord with that. And you guys said, you know, listen, we don't know everything, but we're just going to get started. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then, huh? So, and, and were you looking in kind of like the DC DMV area? Yep. So at the time we lived in a house in Southeast DC and we were also looking for rental properties in Southeast DC and our family and friends already thought we were crazy for buying a house in Southeast at this time. It was 2012 is when we bought our first home for ourselves. Again, not thinking about investing in real estate. We're just buying a house and we thought, ah, we'll probably live here forever. I don't know. We just, that's what you do. Like what, what else? Um, and so then in about 2000. 14, I believe, is when we started looking for that first rental property in Southeast. And around that time, like, it was one of those things where people would question your sanity for wanting to buy in in certain neighborhoods in Southeast. But um, I don't know, like, we saw the vision. It's like, why is it that, you know, as Black people, sometimes we're the last people to see the beauty in our own neighborhoods. And now those same neighborhoods in Southeast are some of the most sought after neighborhoods in DC. Um, and so that's a whole different podcast episode right there. Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, wow. So that first deal, right? So can you kind of mm-hmm. run me through like the specs and like, was it hard yeah. to close? Like all those fun things. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because our first property was a duplex. And so it had two apartments um, in the building basically. And we didn't even know what was a good deal or not. Thankfully it was actually a good deal. Thank God. Um, prayer actually works like, Mm, (laughs) um, because we didn't know, we didn't know what we were doing, but the price for it was $228,000, which, um, isn't it bad for DC? Like, you know, we're like, okay, we can afford that $228,000 is a two unit property, but the, the hurdle was the down payment for that was $57,000. And, um, that's a lot of money. And that's the thing about That's the thing about buying rental properties is that when you're buying a property that you're not going to live in, you have to put at least 20 to 25% down. And it's just like, most people don't have that much money lying around, right? So for us, we were making good money with our government jobs, but we weren't really saving at all. I mean, I won't say at all. We were saving to travel. We were saving to like upgrade our house. We were not saving to invest, And so um, we ended up having to take a loan from our retirement accounts in order to afford this property, which is not a bad tactic. Like people do it all the time. I would say that if anyone listening decides to go that route, definitely talk to a financial advisor. But um, we took a loan from our retirement accounts and used it for the down payment for that property. Okay, so it's a duplex. $228,000 is the purchase price. $57,000. is the down payment. And then it had a tenant in one side and the other side was empty. And so the mortgage, the monthly payment was like a little over a thousand dollars. The tenant that was in it was paying a thousand dollars a month. So we're like, cool, we're breaking even. We don't even have a, a tenant in the other side. This is great. What happened was 
as soon as we got the keys to that property, like a week later, that tenant that we inherited with the property just left. Like he just moved out with like no warning. Oh, and we, wow. yeah, we went over, I think we were going to, to take some measurements for the other unit. Cause we need to do some repairs. And we see that he's like moving his stuff out of the other side. And we're like, um, what is happening here? So we were really left scrambling because we didn't have any education. We're like, wait a minute, how do you even find tenants? Like, what do we do again? Like, we thought we could kind of like slow roll this thing. And so we definitely learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So, hmm. So this, <laughs> so your tenant who is basically paying the mortgage just up and decides to leave. What? So then what do you, how do you guys find the next tenant? What do you guys do? Just put up like signs in the neighborhood or <laughs> <laughs> we were like scratching our heads and so I convinced my husband I said let's just list it on Airbnb just until we can figure out like how to actually rent this thing out and so I went on Craigslist and like found a bunch of like free fun uh, furniture I got some furniture from our house because like Craigslist has like a, a free section if you go to it you can like find all kind of free stuff right so we went to Goodwill Craigslist like shopped in our own house and just kind of like threw it together and my husband was like nobody's going to want to rent an Airbnb in this neighborhood he's like it's not going to work. I was like, let's just give it like two weeks. And we listed it and it was so successful. We were like almost, um, we, we almost never had a vacant day. Um, and so it ended up being a huge blessing in disguise because when you're renting like a short-term rent, uh, rental, like Airbnb, you make way more money than with long-term rentals. Um, on the flip side, it's, it's more, it's more work. So, you know, it's, it's, it's give and take, but it was just so successful. And we're like, man, we're killing it. Like we're making all this money. We need to do this again. And so that's what really got us addicted to investing. So a game is what sparked our interest. But once we saw how much we could make, we're like, oh yeah, we got to do this again and again. And so that's kind of how we got started. Got it. Oh, Cool. So you, okay. Because yeah, a lot of, um, your educational content is around, you know, short-term, um, and sort of Airbnb and that type of thing. And that's interesting. So you kind of landed on it by accident. So this tenant leaving out of nowhere was actually, you know, a blessing in the skies. Oh, wow. <laughs> Definitely a blessing. One thing about this property though, that it's like one of the, one of the things I wish I had known back then, was about the concept of house hacking, which um, if you guys are listening and you're like, that sounds a little shady because the word <laughs> hacking, yeah. it's, not sh it's not shady at all. It's actually completely legal. Um, people do it all the time. It's basically when you buy a multi-unit property, you live in one unit and you rent out the other unit or units because with house hacking, once you're going to live in the property, the down payment is instantly lower. And so instead of having to put $57,000 down, we would have only had to put like $8,000 down, for instance, if we if we had used a particular type of loan. And so um, that's something we didn't even know about. And that could have eliminated this huge barrier of entry for us. And it could have uh, made the whole thing cheaper. But that's why I'm so passionate about teaching people now, because it's like, why should anyone else make the same mistakes that that we did? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And I actually did not know 
the opposite end of the spectrum of house hacking that if you aren't living in it, then you kind of really do need to put down 20 or more percent. So, wow, that is interesting. So another incentive yeah. for house hack. <laughs> nice. And that's, that's one reason why a lot of people, it's like a huge hurdle to, to buy rental property. And so mm-hmm. one thing I will tell people, like if you own a home right now, or if you're about to buy your first home, like think of it like this, where like say house hacking is not a strategy that you can use. You can still build up a rental portfolio without having to buy rental properties per se, because if you own a house right now, you could rent that house out and then go buy a new house for yourself. Buying that new house for yourself is not going to require a 25% down payment because you're going to live in it. So Mm -hmm. you could be potentially living in your first rental property right now. If you don't have a house yet and you're going to go buy your first house, as a first-time home buyer, you can find programs with 0% down. There are 3% down programs, 3.5%, 5%, 10%. So there's a whole bunch of lower down payment options as a first-time home buyer. You could buy it with that low down payment, live in it for a year or two, however long you need to live in it, rent it out, go buy a new house for yourself. And so there is a way to like build up a, a portfolio of real estate without having to always put 25% down. You just got to be strategic about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's fantastic because that is usually the hurdle for most people with um, with buying a home. Um, sometimes it is credit, but then like even if you fix your credit, sometimes it is that huge down payment, and there's ways around it. And so, yes, that is important to get informed. There's a lot of um, like state programs and all types of stuff, but yeah, get informed, people. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Okay. So, hmm. so you go, you know, you guys are doing well, you know, with your first property and you say, okay, we got to do this again. And I know you mentioned that scaling with your side hustles was, was, uh, was just not, was just not possible. And so how were you able to scale with rental properties? Like what types of systems did you guys kind of put into place as you began to kind of learn the ropes? Yeah. So we started, um, like using rental income from the first property to then like get the next property, the next property we purchased, we actually did house hack. So we didn't know about it at first, but we did it for the next one, which was a four unit apartment building. And that changed the game for us because what we did was, so we already owned the house that we lived in, which was a single family house in DC. Then we bought a duplex and then we bought a fourplex. When we moved into the fourplex, we rented out our original house. And so that was another rental property. So, you know, at this time, we basically have six, um, basically have um, seven units, right? So Mm -hmm. we had the single family house, the duplex, and then Mm -hmm. the fourplex. So living in that fourplex not only gave us more rental income, but it also covered our living expenses. Our tenants were paying for us to live there essentially. And we made more money on top of that. And so we saved a ton of money for not having to pay for the roof over our head. We made a ton of money. And um, that house hack really changed our lives dramatically. Okay. Oh, I like Mm -hmm. that. So you guys ended up renting your own home. And now, Mm -hmm. wow. So was that, was that a bit of an adjustment going from your home to living in one of the units in your fourplex? Or was it okay? You know, it's just you and your husband. So you guys are like, ah, it's fine. (laughs) 
Honestly, it's it's funny because my husband, like he's real, he's really behind the scenes. He doesn't do social media and all those kind of stuff. So you don't really see him. I'm, I'm always telling our story for us, but he thinks it's hilarious that I advise people to house hack now because back then I kind of went kicking and screaming. I was like, <laughs> I don't want to give up my space because we went from this like huge house um, to an apartment, right? Mm-hmm. And not only is it an apartment, but we're literally sharing walls with our tenants. And so <laughs> listen, it is not an easy adjustment. It ain't easy at all. But I personally would still be working that nine to five I hated, if not for, for what that sacrifice was. And so what I know now is um, when you're building wealth from the ground up, you often have to do things that, you know, you wouldn't ordinarily prefer, but that's, that's sometimes that's what it takes. I mean, also, the apartment that we lived in in that four unit, it, it it wasn't your typical four unit apartment. Like it was pretty spacious. It was three bedroom, two bath, and it had two levels and it had its own deck. It had like a private entrance. It was pretty nice. It still wasn't as much space as, as we had come from before. Um, and there is that kind of like sacrifice of living, literally sharing walls with your tenants is interesting to say the least. But um, we only lived there for a year. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was worth it. Awesome. Okay. Wow. So yeah, I, I could definitely see that being an adjustment. You go into your, you know, your cozy house and now you're with, <laughs> you're with your tenant. And so I guess I wonder, were there issues with managing your tenants? Um, cause that's what people fear as well. It's like, okay, like, if I have the money and I have the resources, but like, I don't want to deal with, you know, crazy tenants. Did do you guys have like a bunch of horror stories or, you know, you do property management or like, how does that work for you guys? <laughs> yeah, we always um, self-managed. And I do know some people who house hack who will not self-manage. They hire a property manager and they, they pretend as if they're like a tenant as well. And they just kind of keep that <laughs> anonymity. Like they're not right. going to tell people, but no, our tenants definitely knew that we were the owners. And I would say most of the horror stories we had were from um, when we bought the four unit building, it already had tenants in, in three of the units, except for the one that we occupied. And so we inherited tenants and um, it those tenants didn't work out, I will say. And like getting them out was not easy. So once we were able to then place our own tenants, it was better. But um, yeah, there were definitely some some horror stories there with inheriting those tenants. And in that building, we had um, like nothing but Section 8 renters. When we inherited the, the tenants, they were Section 8. And we also replaced them with Section 8 tenants, too. But uh, it was just better that we were able to pick our own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's nice to have your own vetting process, you know, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Awesome. Cool. Okay. So, you know, you guys have your seven units and your cash flowing. And so you essentially attained the dream, right? The financial independence, retire early, the fire. So, and at age 32, which is phenomenal. So at what point were you able to quit your job? Yeah. So we quit, I would say, I think it was uh, about five and a half or six years after we started. So, um, 
we really probably could have quit sooner and I was ready to, I told my husband, I'm like, let's leave now. And he's just like, no, like, let's make sure, <laughs> let's make sure it's sustainable, which is smart. Like he's, he's very patient and I'm like, let's go now. Um, but I, what I will say is if anyone is, you know, working towards financial independence, or even if you love your nine to five and you're working to pay off student loan debt, or you just want to make extra money to do whatever, make sure that before you start investing in real estate, you start with a, a money goal in mind. Like it's so much easier to say, okay, this is what I want to make per month or per year or whatever. And then work backwards for what that looks like for you, where you're at. Because oftentimes people will see my story and say, well, it only took you this long. You only had that many properties, but what you have to remember is eight rental properties in DC is very different than eight rental properties in Detroit mm-hmm. or in Columbus, Ohio, or like Fayetteville, North Carolina. Like, so it's more expensive in DC, but also we made way more money than most people would ever make with, with that amount of properties. Right. And so, cause the rental income is so high there. Um, so we created a money goal for ourselves and said, okay, what do we need to get to that? And we worked towards that. And so I encourage everybody else to do the same too. So if that means if you're in Chicago and it's going to take you five properties to be financially free, boom, or if it's only going to take you two properties where you're at, just make sure you, you start with that in mind. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that too. Yeah. Two really important things you said there, you know, starting with your personalized number in mind and also to consider your market. <laughs> that is very important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So you guys are, you know, <laughs> kicking your feet up and <laughs> living the fabulous life. And, you know, you have a lot of, I mean, you really have a lot of success and I'm always curious with people like yourself, you don't have to share you don't have to take the time to do podcasts. You don't have to, you know, have a platform and take the time to educate people. And so I'm always curious why you feel the need to. I love that question. No one's ever actually asked me that on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I absolutely love that question because I don't like, I realized there was a gap in information. When we bought that four unit property, I remember posting it on Facebook to my friends. I didn't have a business page or anything at that time. Like, Hey guys, we just bought our first apartment built, like four unit apartment building. People started DMing me. Like, did y'all rob a bank? Like, (gasps) did you hit the lottery? Like, and and clearly my friends are joking because I could never rob a bank. Like ever. (laughs) I would never survive a day in jail. Like I wouldn't even survive five seconds in jail. So same, but it was just that. Yeah. it's that curiosity because it's like, wait, how is this attainable? I feel like years ago, like social media, you know, podcasts like yours, we're all normalizing this conversation about uh, financial literacy, but several years ago, financial literacy, especially real estate investing was, I feel like if you, if you looked it up, it was a bunch of like older white people. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, there's something missing. People need to see themselves reflected in this story so they can say, oh, if Kendra could do it, I can do it. Like, and so what I feel like my story does is it gives permission, it gives others permission to do the same. And that's what I've heard from people like, I would have never considered doing this. But when I saw you, you look like me. And like, 
uh, like a cool, like I, like I told you, like, I don't come from wealth. I did not hit the lottery. I did not rob a bank. Like, <laughs> and I honestly, I had really bad spending habits well into my twenties. So if I can do this, then I just want to empower and encourage people to do the same. And so that's why I share my story. And that's why I share the stories of, of others too. Um, and that's why, like, I wrote my book, like to really just, uh, normalize black wealth and empower others that not only are you worthy of wealth, but you can literally build it from the ground up, no matter what your background is. Yes. Oh, I love that. And you, <laughs> and you mentioned your book acres, which will have the link for people to pre-order. I've pre-ordered mine. So I'm so excited. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Oh, yes. And if you could tell us a little bit about Acres and where the idea came from and um, just kind of what you hope that book inspires in people. Yeah, I mean, the Acres is is telling the stories of 25 young Black real estate investors who have built wealth from the ground up. And it's so interesting because all of us have such uniquely different stories. I mean, People in the book that I've interviewed literally went from like homelessness to multi-million dollar real estate portfolios, um, oh, like wow. literally sleeping in their car to being just complete real estate moguls. Um, it, it's it's really a testament to, so the title Acres is really a testament to or paying homage to 40 acres and a mule, right? Mm-hmm. That elusive idea of reparations that um, Black Americans were supposed to get, we never got, but the book is honoring the fact that we're building it anyway on our own. We're getting these acres yeah. by ourselves on our own, despite all of the systematic oppression and hurdles that are put in our way. Um, and I'm just like, there's always so much bad news surrounding the Black community. I want to highlight the good things that we're doing. And I know that people are going to see their themselves reflected in these stories because I started out telling my story only, but I'm like, why don't I shine a light on other stories as well and empower that many more people? And so um, Acres is a coffee table book. And so it's like not just a bunch of words, nothing wrong with a bunch of words, but it's also like really heavy on imagery. It does share the stories as well, but it's heavy on imagery. It's like a beautiful, uh, beautiful piece of art too. So super excited. Oh, I love that. Yes. We are getting back our acres. Absolutely. I love Yes. <laughs> on our own. Okay. We ain't waiting for nobody. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm excited to get mine, you know, so everyone's always rushing to get, you know, the Tom Ford and all that. Make sure you get the acres as well. All <laughs> right. <laughs> Put it up yes. there. All that good stuff. Yes. And so, you know, as you look back on, you know, your journey and everything that you you've kind of been through. Is there anything that you think to yourself and say, hmm, I wish I would have done that a little differently? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> but one thing I can think, one thing I can think is um I would have definitely saved more money. Like in college, I really was like living just for the day and the moment and not thinking of anything else. I was living beyond my me beyond my means, like racking up credit card debt. But even beyond college, like once I um, started looking to buy my first home, I didn't know anything about like first time home buyer programs. And so that's one thing I'm kicking myself for because there's so much money out there to be tapped into. And I feel like I missed the boat on that. So that's one thing I would definitely do differently. Ah, 
Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I definitely relate to that on the um, college, just <laughs> living for the moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was funny. I was, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and she was talking about the, um, the reimbursement refund checks you get after, you know, yes. loans are dispersed. And she was like, yeah, I would use that to like pay my rent. And, you know, I'm like, oh, you better than me. I went straight to the mall. <laughs> Same here. Oh, I was oh. buying Jordans and all yeah. that stuff. And it's like, I went to school with a full ride. I never paid for not one book, no pencils. I had a internship every summer that came along with that scholarship. I had a job on campus. My parents were giving me an allowance and I graduated in debt. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> oh, I had wow. so much money. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> and no one ever taught me like, how a credit score follows you, mm-hmm. like the impact of that for years to come. And so here I am then years later trying to buy a house and the mortgage lender is saying like, oh, you had this stuff on your credit. So your interest rate is going to be worse. And I'm like, from back in college? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, mm-hmm. all that stuff I paid for back then, or I bought back then, I'm still paying for it now because that mortgage we have on that house that we still own is is a result of my spending habits in college. Like those are the most expensive clothes I've ever purchased because I'm literally still paying for them. Wow. Oh, that interest. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, hey, you know, we live and we learn and and that's inspiring for, you know, for me as well, for some of us who didn't necessarily, you know, start off with all the right um <laughs> financial, you know, foundation and, you know, saving up and all that, but we can still bounce back. You know, there's always time and you, you can make it happen. Just start today. So yes. that makes me excited. And speaking of starting your day, so do you have um, any like, uh, I'm, well, I almost said rituals, not rituals, but do you have any sort of like practices or like any mantras that like really get you going in the morning or anything that you do? Girl, I wish you could see my face because <laughs> I <laughs> I am a mom of a two-year-old girl. I don't have any kind of morning. Not not that moms don't. Like for me, I have not found my stride uh, in any kind of morning routine. I wish I had better news for you, but I'm a, the mom of a two-year-old and the day just kind of like sucker punches me every yeah. <laughs> there is a stride for two-year-olds I mean it's, <laughs> <laughs> no, I some mom, well uh, according to what people show on the internet on social media some moms look like they out here killing it that is not my story right now right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day it will be <laughs> yeah I feel you I don't know of anyone who has that in real life with youngins like real young kids oh my gosh I'm <laughs> when I yeah when I watch my nephews Oh my goodness. I just, <laughs> both below five. I, I, oof. Listen. <laughs> I'm like, grandma, Crazy. come take these kids. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. And so I guess my sort of last kind of, you know, fun question is if you have like a favorite food or drink that you like to go to. Yeah, anything chocolate is going to be my go-to for like food or something indulgent. And then um, my favorite drink, wine. Like, please, wine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Oh, man. Well, 
this has been a fantastic episode. You know, we're going to have all of Kendra's, all of her links, her if you want to join her private Facebook group, the link to the acres, we're going to put them all in the description as well on the um, Demcoins website. And once again, Kendra, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. I hope you all enjoyed that one because I know we did. Shout out to Kendra. Um, once again, all her information is in the description of this episode and also on the website. Definitely feel free to reach out to her. She's such a great resource. That's why she is the founder of the key resource. Okay. <laughs> Lots of great takeaways. I think from Kendra's uh, journey, I have learned that everything really does work out for our good. Um, when that, when they got their first property and that tenant moved out, most people would throw their hands up in the air and say, see, this is why I didn't want to do this stuff in the first place. It never works out for me. And you know, woo, woo, woo. But Kendra and her husband stumbled upon Airbnb and that became the main strategy that catapulted them into financial success because everyone's way is different and you gotta you gotta try you gotta be mendable and moldable right you can't be so committed to the plan that you miss out on and forget your actual goal their actual goal is financial freedom and so they kept with the goal and they reached success and we're ending Q1, right? So now is a good time to assess kind of where you are with those goals you wrote at the beginning of the year, right? Are you making progress and do you need to make some shifts? So, so with that being said, y'all be blessed. And that pretty much wraps up today's episode. Thank you for joining me. I hope you got some new insights or maybe you just got some confirmation on a couple of things. Let your girl know. Feel free to reach out to me via email, hello at demcoinsonline.com. Also, feel free to check us out on Instagram, dem.coins. If you have any good topics, cool new strategies, let me know. And while you're at it, feel free to write an awesome five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about me, okay? <laughs> I am so excited for all of us on this journey. And until next time, stay encouraged.